So this short podcast accompanies our global M&A report and highlights some of the environmental, social and governance factors, or ESG for short, as key considerations in M&A decision making. I'm Gavin Williams, a partner with Herbert Smith Freehills based in London, and I'm here with Rebecca Perlman, a senior associate also based in the firm's London office. So in this podcast, we're going to look at how ESG risks are affecting three key aspects of the M&A process, origination, due diligence and exit. So to start with, shall we recap on what's driving the developments in this area and how that's affecting target identification? Sure. Well, the rapid rise of ESG up the agenda has been driven by a combination of factors, such as the palpable effects of climate change, pressure from activists, consumers, voters and investors, and progression in social norms in areas such as diversity, inclusion and equality. To give a sense of the scale of this shift, last year, global sustainable investment assets topped $30 trillion dollars. And the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment now has over 2,500 signatories. Regulatory developments turning soft law principles and guidance into rules with teeth and the increased risk of ESG-related litigation are also major drivers. And it's against this backdrop that businesses and investors alike are becoming increasingly mindful of ESG risks, present and future, when it comes to making M&A decisions. So ESG risks are already affecting the deals people are doing? That's right. Uh, I mean, in truth, a great many of the risks under the ESG banner have affected M&A for some time. But what's changing is the stage of the process at which people are looking into them and the depth of the dives people are taking. Would-be acquirers are asking themselves right at the outset, what are the ESG implications of being associated with this asset? Are there potential reputational issues that might arise? Or could the asset end up being stranded? In doing so, potential bidders are looking further forward than ever before to where the market and the law appears to be headed and how that might affect financing costs, reputation and liquidity, so their ability to sell the asset in due course. The debate on single-use plastics, for instance, shows us how quickly a change in public opinion can drive regulatory response and a sharp shift in demand. And that's just one example. Um, I think a key takeaway is that the law is changing rapidly and persistently around ESG, so intending investors and acquirers need to keep abreast of the substantive compliance and regulatory risks associated with an asset, as well as the disclosure and transparency burden. There is, for instance, legislation currently being proposed that will require asset owners and asset managers to disclose the climate impact of their investments. Institutional investors will therefore start asking portfolio companies for more detailed climate-related information. In fact, many are already doing so. And this, in turn, implies a greater risk of class actions against companies failing to disclose climate change impacts adequately or accurately. As ESG standards currently in soft law continue to be transposed into real hard law, whether at a supranational or a national level, businesses and investors will continue to look for ways to future-proof their portfolio in line with this global agenda. Does that mean that buyers are now also taking a more forward-looking approach at the due diligence stage? Absolutely. Uh, Traditionally, buyers have focused primarily on a target's historical uh, financial and operational performance and compliance, being more sceptical of medium to longer-term projections. Non-financial issues used to be considered on the basis of the target's current compliance with law and regulation as they stood at the time of uh, a due diligence review. Now, more than ever before, though, buyers need to examine carefully whether a target will be compliant in the foreseeable future in order to minimise the risk of assuming or acquiring regulatory or litigation risks or liability further down the road. They also need to look beyond the company or assets being bought and consider wider business, including the target's supply chains and the ESG stance of the governments of the countries in which the business operates. 
Presumably, that is an easier task for industries that are already deeply familiar with managing and reporting on ESG issues. So in the extractive sector, for instance, good performance on ESG factors, such as the way in which mining companies interact with the communities in which they operate, and the measures they can take to mitigate the environmental impact of their operations, has been part of sound stewardship and asset management for decades. That's right. Um, But in other industries, however, there's a less well-developed understanding of what constitutes a material ESG issue. And the absence of a common language or taxonomy around ESG remains a challenge. And buyers lack the benchmarks they need meaningfully to compare a target's ESG metrics to the broader market. So in these sectors where there is a lack of consensus, does it become even more important for buyers to consider these issues early on in the due diligence process, even if only to exclude them on the basis of immateriality in due course? No, absolutely. Thorough ESG diligence can help participants in an M&A process identify assets and liabilities which could be problematical and and may even need to be carved out uh, of the acquisition. Uh, By taking a more forward-looking approach, they can reduce the risk of acquiring assets or businesses that become stranded uh, owing to ESG-related changes in regulation, public opinion or consumer demand. And could that approach also help buyers identify potential difficulties regarding the integration of the target into their company? For example, if there are significant gaps in the way the buyer and the target approach ESG issues, then integration could be more costly and challenging, reducing the overall profitability of the deal. No, spot on. In, in that case, buyers may look to reduce the price or decide not to go ahead with the deal at all. And on the flip side, we expect players with poorer ESG performance to seek out targets with higher ESG standards in order to enhance their own standing, gain access to technology and know-how, uh, improve the efficiency of their operations or incubate more sustainable processes or products. Um, financing costs is another thing, both for M&A itself and also later refinancing. Um, they'll also be lower for if the borrowed group is demonstrably more green than, say, brown. Okay, so once the hard work on closing the deal is complete, what happens next? So on the buy side, uh, consideration of ESG issues will need to form part of post-transaction asset management and compliance um, long, long after the deal itself is closed. Businesses will need to monitor the soft law and hard legal and regulatory landscape and keep an eye on where the markets as well as the law are going, as you mentioned earlier on, Rebecca. On the sell side, businesses that have embraced ESG are looking beyond issues uh, such as um, just the price uh, and increasingly looking to achieve a clean break uh, in order to assure themselves that the asset will continue to be managed responsibly post-completion and that they won't suffer a reputational damage from selling to a highest bidder who turns out to be a Um, a recalcitrant operator of the asset. So how is that manifesting itself in practice? So we're seeing increased due diligence by sellers on bidders, and we're also seeing examples of enhanced post-completion undertakings being sought by sellers from buyers. Um, This has been a common approach in the extractive sector for a long time. Um, So, for example, where a seller wants assurance that a buyer will operate an asset responsibly in line with standards adopted by the seller, We've seen specific undertakings sought from buyers committing them to run the assets in accordance with best practice from an ESG point of view. Um, we now expect to see this approach sort of permeate into other sectors, particularly in, in the environmental and social areas of ESG. Could you give another example, perhaps relating to other sectors where we've seen this happen already? Um, so the Unilever sale of its spreads business to KKR in uh, 2017 is a good example for, in the consumer sector. Um, As part of that transaction, KKR committed to upholding Unilever's environmental policies, including uh, commitment to sourcing 100% sustainable palm oil by 2019. That's interesting. 
And might a seller with strong ESG performance like Unilever attract more bidders and a higher price, in which case ESG isn't just about risk management, it's also about value creation? That's right. Companies uh, are in a race to get to grips with ESG, not only to mitigate the associated risks, but also to make the most of the of the opportunities. So it's not yet clear whether we're actually on the threshold of a fundamental reshaping of finance, as BlackRock's Larry Fink suggested in his recent CEO letter. Um, but it is clear uh, that we've advanced well beyond the hype. ESG issues are now mainstream, and they're critical considerations for M&A dealmakers. I think the takeaways are look further forward, dig deeper, um, monitor and adapt. I think that's absolutely right, Gavin. Um, And thank you very much for joining me today. And and thank you to everyone who's listening. We hope that you found it interesting. And please do visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, where you can download the report and listen to the other podcasts in this series.